a bit of a challenge this morning because I've got to talk about two things that, that can often um, upset people and seem a little bit disingenuous. We're going to be looking at pride and we're going to be looking at giving. Okay, and I do want to, I want to set you at ease right now about the giving thing. Um, we are not starting a new building fund. We're not starting any kind of capital campaign and that's why we're preaching about giving. We're preaching about giving because that's where we are in the scripture. Okay, and that's what we do at Del Rio Bible Church. And then the pride, I'm just going to say, sorry, I mean, it's going to hurt your pride. I mean, it just is. It hurts my pride when I talk about pride. So that's just, that's just where we are and what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, let's go to the Lord and, and ask him to, to bless our time together and just say, Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning in awe uh, of who you are, uh, in awe of your creation, in awe that, that, that you made us. And even though we turned our backs on you and we are so flawed, that you want a relationship with us. And you wanted it so badly that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, uh, perfect man, fully God, to die on the cross for us. And all the, the bad things that we have done or will ever do were nailed to that cross. And, and although we deserve to die for them, he died in our place. Lord, I just pray that, that we never stop being in awe of that simple fact. That we are whole, not because of anything we did. We are perfect, not because of anything we did, but because of what you did. Because Jesus Christ was willing to hang on that cross and take our punishment for us. And if there's anybody in here this morning, Lord, who doesn't own that fact, who doesn't have that in, in the core of their being, I pray that, that they would get their questions answered and that they would come to know you today, that you would draw them with your spirit and that today would be the day that they become flawless, that they become one of yours. And for those of us who, who do know you, Lord, and I, I pray that each and every day we would want to walk more closely with you. As we study your word this morning, help us to understand what it's telling us. But, but more than that understanding, Lord, give us the, the strength and the power through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit to live what it's telling us. To be Christ-like, to be a light in a culture that needs that light so desperately. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us. Thank you for being with us in the difficult times. Thank you for sustaining us in the good times. Help us to live for you well, to bring glory to your name, to love you, and to love others as ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Mark 12, 38 through 44. And in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. 
For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all she had to live on. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Well, I shouldn't say that. The last week before he's crucified, right? Because he did live 40 days on earth before the ascension. So the last week before he's crucified, and he's been teaching in the temple, right? And, and this teaching is much like all the rest of the teaching we've been gone, going through in, in Mark. And I think it's important that once again we hit this. We are to be biblical thinkers, right? We are to be Christ-like. God sees things differently than we see things. And we need to adjust our minds to see things as God sees them so that we can see things correctly. And we've talked about it over and over and over again. Um, the first song this morning I just love, Flawless, one of my favorite songs by Mercy Me. Thank you, Praise Team, for doing that. But it's a song about seeing things the way God sees them, not the way we see them. And you go, what? I don't remember that. It says, no matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross has made you flawless. Man, we've all lived life. Some of us have lived longer than others. We all have the scars. We all have the bumps. We all have the bruises that life brings. But the fact is, in God's eyes, we're flawless because of Jesus Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I don't remember who it was that said it, but somebody said the gospel in seven words. You know, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made you flawless. We have to see things as God does. No matter what they say. So no matter what anybody else says about you or what you think you are, no matter what I say to myself or I think I am, if I'm in Christ, I'm flawless. Because the cross has made me that way. Nothing I did, but the cross has made me that way. We need to look at things through God's eyes. Jesus has been teaching them, especially this last part of his life, he's really teaching them to look at things differently. Don't look at things the way man looks at them. Look at things the way God looks at them. And this morning, we're going to look at a couple of things there. We're going to look at, at wanting to be seen by men, and the problem of that. And we're going to look at giving. And what we're studying this morning really is God's economy. God's economy in all things, in honor, in money. God's economy is different than man's economy. And in his teaching, verse 38, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogue, and places of honor in banquets. Now, are any of those things wrong in and of themselves? Is a nice robe wrong? No, how about a respectful greeting in the marketplace? Good friend, good firm handshake, maybe a hug. Is that wrong? No. Chief seats in the synagogue. Somebody's got to get the best seats. Well, not to more, because they're right here. I don't know. <laughs> best seats, duh, right here, people. Nobody wanted them. The best seats in the synagogue. Is that wrong? 
places of honor at the banquet. Is it wrong to be, to be at the, the right hand of whoever's giving the banquet? Those things in and of themselves aren't wrong. So why is, God, why is Jesus telling them, beware the scribes who want all these things? The parallel passages to what we're looking at this morning are in uh, Matthew 23, 1 through 7, and Luke 20, 45 through 47. And in those passages, you'll see that he's not just talking to the scribes, he's talking to the Pharisees as well. Okay, so we see it a lot, scribes and Pharisees. What does that mean? It's the religious leaders. Okay, so you could translate that as beware of the religious leaders who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace, the chief seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at banquets. The point is, God sees things differently. We may see somebody in the long, flowing robe who's getting respected by everybody and, and gets the best seats everywhere as, wow, that person must be really important. And God says, no, beware of somebody who wants that. The whole point is, they were prideful. They were doing things for themselves, to lift themselves up. And Jesus is saying, beware of that. And this isn't the first time we've seen this teaching in Mark. Right? We saw the teaching about how to be a servant leader. Don't try to lord it over somebody. Don't try to be first, but be content being last. This is really just an extension of that. But man, this talks to our Americanism. We are rugged individual Americans. American. We get it done. We take care of ourselves. Man, we are a prideful, prideful culture. And that brings great strength to us, but we have to be very careful with pride because God over and over again in the scripture condemns pride condemns pride and here he's condemning the religious leaders for their pride turn to Matthew 6 with me this is part of the Sermon on the Mount so we can get a, a little bit of a clearer picture of what God is saying here Starting in verse 1, Matthew 6, verse 1, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so time out. Rewards. No reward with your Father in heaven. We're not going to turn there, but you can go look later at 1 Corinthians 3. Okay, and in 1 Corinthians 3, we get this picture. Paul is telling us that nobody can lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ. Okay, and we all work and, and, and add stuff to this foundation, right? We all build stuff on the foundation. And we can build stuff either using wood, hay, or straw. Wood, hay, stubble. Some of your translations will say wood, hay, and straw. Or gold, precious gems. Right? And in the end, when there's a judgment, all this stuff is going to be tested by fire. And what happens to wood, hubble, and straw? Or wood, wood, hubble. <sighs> wood, hay, and stubble, or wood, hay, and straw when it meets fire? See ya. It's gone, right? It gets burned up. What happens to, to precious gems and gold when they meet fire? Still there, right? Still there. As a matter of fact, it can purify gold. Fire can purify gold. So, and what he's saying is, is if you do stuff, God looks at our motivation. He sees our heart. And if we do stuff for earthly rewards, is what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 6. If we do things for earthly rewards, that's all the reward you're going to get. There is no reward in heaven. 
Anything you do for an earthly reward means nothing in the heavenly kingdom. Back to Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not... Oh, sorry, we're not going to go into that. That's the Lord's Supper. Start, skip from 6 down to 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, look like you normally do. Be clean. Look like you normally do. So that, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I got something that hopefully is in revelation to our people at Del Rio Bible Church, but it's good for us to remember it every once in a while. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about us. It's about God. Okay? The scribes, Jesus is saying, beware of the scribes because they're making it about them. They want to be important, self-important. They want to be seen as the righteous. They want to be seen as this, this wonderful person that everybody looks at. They have made it about themselves. And we studied this earlier in Mark when they were doing the wrong things. And we, and we, we learned that we have, to, we have to worship God as he's revealed himself to be and in a way that he's revealed us to worship him, that he's commanded. But the Pharisees, the scribes have made it about them. And you see that throughout the scripture. That's why Jesus has very condemning words for the Pharisees and the scribes, right? I mean, I love our, our modern take on Jesus is, oh, he's just... He's just, he's love. And he is love, okay? God is love. He's just loving. He just lets everybody do whatever they want. You know, he's just, he's the happy-go-lucky guy that just lets anybody do what they want. Is that what Jesus does? No. He loves them, and he loves you and me, and he loves them too much to leave them in their sin and to let them continue to do that. And because the scribes and the Pharisees have made it about themselves, he's saying, beware of them. Again, none of the individual things that they were doing were wrong in and of themselves, but they were wrong because they made it about themselves. And God sees our heart. We as Americans got to be very careful about our pride. 
right? We could get proud about a whole lot of things. And we could look down on somebody else about any number of things. And I can't give you specifics. You can't do this. You can't do that. Because it doesn't matter. Everything that you do can be done in a good way for the right motivation for God to bring glory to God, to love God, to love others. Or it can be done for yourself. And if it's done for yourself, it's worthless. And God sees it. You're not fooling him. Okay? You're not fooling him. He sees it. Beware that kind of behavior. Beware of your pride. That should be one of your regular prayers. Lord, help me see where I'm prideful. And, and help me through your Holy Spirit overcome it. Because naturally, we're going to be prideful. Right? Spiritually, we can live for God. Naturally, we're going to live for men. And God is saying, be careful of that. Beware of the scribes. In 40, he says, they devour widows' houses. Not exactly sure what he's talking about there, um, but what, what it brings to mind to me is, remember earlier in Mark, in chapter 7, uh, verse 11, we looked at uh, the tradition of man was they said, hey, anything that would have been used to care for your family, you can call that Corbin. In other words, I've given it to the temple, so I'm not caring for my family. And, and I get the idea that maybe that's what he's talking about here is, hey, the scribes and the Pharisees have got people to give all that they had to the treasury and neglect taking care of the, the family. They have devoured the widow's house. They have devoured the widow's house. A widow whose, whose children should have taken care of her are saying, I don't have to take care of you because I gave it all to the Lord, which is much more, <clears throat> much more better, more spiritual. I gave it to God. That's way better. And Jesus told them, no. That's not better, because God commands you to take care of the family. So they devour widows' houses, and for appearance' sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation, because what they're doing, they're doing for themselves. They're not doing it for God. We have to be careful to make sure what we're doing, we're doing for the right reasons. We're doing it for God, not for ourselves. If we do it for ourselves, we have our reward in full. Pride. Be careful of our pride. He continues, verse 41. It seems like a different teaching, but it's really, as, as all Jesus is teaching, is very, very related here. In 41, he says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and began to observe how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Let's back up for a second. Many rich people were putting in large sums. It's important as we look at, at the teaching and giving and the teaching that Jesus is doing here is to see what he does not say. Okay? Does he denigrate their gift in any way? No. No. He's not saying that the rich people that put in large sums were wrong or that somehow their gift was not worthy. That's not what he's saying here. It doesn't say that. He's just comparing their gift and he's showing them that God's thinking is different than your thinking. Because we would look at that and see the millionaire come in and plop $100,000 in the offering basket and go, woo! And give that person the best seats. He'd be sitting up here. Okay? And we'd see the poor homeless person come in and put in a buck and go, because your buck. And Jesus is saying, no, people. 
My economy is not your economy. God looks at things differently. So he's not denigrating the rich people's gift. Okay, so we just want to clarify that as we go into it. The poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. In God's economy, the cent, it's, it's a lepta, one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Okay, a denarius was a day's wage for a common laborer. So she gave one sixty-four. So she gave what she could make in a pro what a normal day's laborer could make in approximately twenty minutes. Okay, not very much. But Jesus is saying, in God's eyes, what she gave was more in amount than all of what the rich people gave. God's economy is not our economy. God sees things differently. And why would hers be more? It had nothing to do with the amount of the money, right? It had to do with her heart. If she gave all that she had to live on, who is she now trusting to sustain her? God. Okay? She has so much faith that God will give her her daily needs that she gave all that she had to live on. And Jesus is saying that is more than everybody else. Now, the other thing he's not telling us is that we have to give everything we have to leave, live on. Okay, again, he's not teaching that. He's just showing that the amount is not important. The heart is important. Okay, the heart is important. So it's always difficult to teach on giving without feeling and seeming self-serving. We're not teaching, I'm not teaching this morning to get you to give more to the church, okay? I'm teaching this morning because it's what God says and to profit you and to profit me so that we can think like God thinks and we can act on that. So let's look at giving a little bit. We've seen that, that God doesn't look at the amount. I've, I've got news for you, okay? This may come as a shock to you, may not, but God does not need your money. He doesn't, okay? Remember, he created everything out of nothing. Do not get prideful about what you give or don't give because he doesn't need your money. He will use it to support his people, and we're going to look at that in a little bit, but he doesn't need it. He could create as much money as he wants to, anytime he wants to, out of nothing, Okay? So why does God ask us to give? If it's not for him, then who is it for? Well, Paul, in Philippians, Philippians 4, you can turn there or not, tells us who it's for. Philippians 4, Paul is, is talking to the Philippians about... Um, that, that they finally, he finally received the gift, the monetary gift that they sent to support him. And he's very happy about it. And he's excited. He says, thank you for that. And he goes through the whole thing about saying, and not that I need the money because I can, I can live. I can be content to either being poor or being rich. I've learned the secret to all things uh, is doing that in Christ, right? Uh, so that's what he teaches. And then in verse 17, as he gets done with that, and then after, again, he's thanking them for that. Well, let's go in... Uh, 
um, 16, he talks about them and he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So he's again, he's thanking them for the gift that they're sending him to support him. But in 17 he says, Not that I seek the gift itself. So he's going to change. He goes, man, the gift was really nice. Thank you for giving it to me. It's really helped me out. But the fact that it's helped me out and the fact that, that, that you gave it is not that important to me. And he says, this is what God sees. God's economy is different. He says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul was more interested in what their giving did for them than what it did for him. Okay, so let's look at giving a little bit. Let's look at giving. Does the Bible command us to give? Anyone? Are we commanded to give? Yes, everybody's head should be doing this. Yes. Darn it. But if I say yes, they're going to expect me to give. Okay. Yes, the Bible commands you to give. Okay. Both the New Testament and the Old Testament. Okay, but we're going to look at uh, some difference, differences here. Uh, why? What's the primary purpose why we should give? Anybody? Nobody wants to be wrong? Somebody? Help other people is a great reason. What's the primary purpose why we should give? Because we want to. Great reason. What's the primary reason why we should give? Because we're commanded to. I heard somebody say that. Because God commands us to. So we give because we love God. You know, Chris was going to teach this morning on loving God and loving others, the, the greatest commandments, right? Uh, you'll get that next week. Come back for that. Okay, it's going to be good stuff. But we give because we're commanded to give. And we saw that Paul, and, and, we, and if you look at the scriptures, well, we're not going to be able to get that deep into it. But we, God commands us to give because what it does for us. You know, in Deuteronomy 10, 13, God says, I'm giving you all these commandments today for your good. God doesn't give us commandments to put his thumb on the top of our head and keep us down. God give us commandments for our good. Okay, so we give because we love God. And Jesus tells us if we love God, we will obey God. So that's the primary reason why we give is because we're commanded. All the rest of the, the, the answers that you can come up with are fine. Great. But the primary reason is because we're commanded to give. And God tells us we can give. Why? Because who supplies all of our needs? God does. Our problem, especially in marketplace America, is that our view of our needs and God's view of our needs is often very different, right? It's often very different. But we have to understand that God's view is correct. He will supply our, all of our needs. You can go look at Matthew 6, 25 through 33, uh, Philippians 4, 19. He supplies all of our needs. Uh, how are we to give? Uh, we're to give cheerfully, right? We're to give willingly. Not under compulsion. But, but, but Steve, you just said that we are commanded to give, and that's the primary reason why we, are we give. Right. But we give because we love God, and we want to follow his commands. Okay? We're not giving because necessarily, I, I, hard to say this right. We're not giving because we fear God's wrath on us. We're giving because we love God. Do we fear him? Absolutely. We respect him. We know who he is. The power he is, and we give because we love him. We give cheerfully. Um, we give generously. Uh, in the Bible, uh, in general, charity and generosity are always commended, while greed and covetousness are always condemned. Okay? 
We are called to give. We're called to be generous. We're called not to covet, not to be jealous about other people's things. Giving is an act of worship. Again, willingly, not under compulsion. Psalm 54, 6, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We're called to be cheerful in our giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. We're called to be give, giving in love. I don't know if Chris was going to go to, to 1 Corinthians 13 this morning as he talked about love or not, but I'm going to go there. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 13. It's Valentine's week. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as what? The love chapter. Yeah. It's all about love. And we want to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and jump right to verse 4 and say, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. And we go on from there. That's great. All the things that love is. Unfortunately, we tend to skip the first four verses, which I can't go in too much to context. The context is, is in spiritual gifts here. Uh, but the first four verses, as he's talking about spiritual gifts, then he comes out and he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove the mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And then verse 3 is the one that's pertinent to us when we're talking about giving. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, if I give all that I had to live on, in other words, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And it kind of goes back to our pride, right? Well, I give... I give 40% of everything that comes in. Great. You have your reward in full because you're obviously very proud of it. Okay. We're told to give in secret. But we give with love. Primarily, love for Jesus. Secondarily, love for our neighbor. Love for everybody else. How much are we commanded to give? Mm-mm. Well, if you grew up Baptist, you tithe, right? You give your tithe. And you sign the little form that says, this is how much I'm going to give this year. And again, that form is not necessarily wrong. They're using it for planning purposes. They're also using it to hold over your head as a little guilty thing to go, hey, you, you said you were going to give this much, and you didn't. Okay? But because I signed a piece of paper is not why I give. If this is why I give, I have my reward in full. Okay. In the New Testament, we are never commanded to give a certain amount. We're commanded to give in proportion to what we get. We're commanded to give first. Okay. Uh, you can look at it as a first fruits thing. Out of the first of our uh, gain. Okay. In proportion, we're commanded to give cheerfully. So how much are we to give as New Testament believers? We're not under the law. How much did they give under the Levitical law. 10% I heard. Okay, that's what a tithe is. Tithe just means 10%. In our modern culture, we just think of the tithe means what I give to the church. But that's not what tithe is. Tithe is 10%. Okay. They gave the first tithe, which supported the Levitical priesthood. Okay, every year. They gave 
A second tithe, uh-oh, we're up to 20%, okay? They gave a second tithe every year. And then as I read it, and there's a little bit of, of argument this, you can go look at, uh, at Leviticus yourself uh, if you really want to. I think they gave two and a third tithes every year, in effect, because they gave two tithes a year, and then every third year they gave a third tithe, that, and they had a great big banquet for all the people around, all the poor people, all the destitute people would come in and they have a great big banquet for them. And that's what this, a big, great, 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 great big celebration. And that's what this third tithe was. So in effect, they gave two and a third tithes every year, 23 and a third percent. That's what they were commanded to do by the law. We're not commanded to do that by the law. We're commanded to give cheerfully. We're commanded to give uh, in proportion to what we make. So how do we determine how much we give and I'm going to tell you the bottom line is that's between you and God but I'm going to give you my opinion okay based on biblical principle based on biblical principle and I think you should start with a tithe with a tenth I think that is the base level of giving and again biblical principle not because of the law we're not under the law but because I think the tithe is, is a good place to start because it predates the law, right? We see a tithe when Abraham gave a tenth of all he owned, a tithe to Melchizedek, okay, in Genesis. We also see uh, in Genesis when uh, Jacob gave a tenth of all he owned to the Lord. Again, pre-law, pre-law. So that's why I think a tenth is a good place to start. And I think based on the fact that the first tithe of uh, of the Jewish law was to support the Levitical priesthood, I think that your 10%, your first 10% should go to your local church, wherever your local church happens to be. We have a lot of people, military, other folks that move in and out of town. And we have a lot of people that leave Del Rio Bible Church and continue to support Del Rio Bible Church. And we love it and we think that's great. But I tell every single one of them, this can't be at the expense of your local church. You need to give the tithe to your local church. And anything above that, give wherever you want to. Okay? In the scripture, we have alms, which was generally giving to the poor, and we have free will offerings, which is just money in excess to give whatever. So, personal opinion based on biblical principle is you should give 10% to your church, and you should give more than that, okay? And you should give it to other worthy charities to support poor people, orphans, widows, other ministries. Okay, again, that's just personal opinion. What you give is between you and God, because in the New Testament, we are not commanded an amount. Okay, we are commanded to give. And what we learn from our teaching this morning in, in Mark is that the amount is not the important thing. We want to look at it that way. That's not the way God looks at it. God is going to look at our heart. Okay? There is teaching out there in the church, and I'm going to use scare quotes on purpose, that, hey, you should give because if you give, God will give back to you. Okay? And that may be true. I, I think a biblical principle is when God finds somebody who is a cheerful, willing giver, that he makes sure they have plenty to give. However... If you are giving to God in order for him to give back to you, you have your reward in full. Okay? He knows your heart. He knows what's going. 
If you're one of those people that goes, man, I went to the church and he told me if I just give 10% that God's going to give it to me, push butt, you know, pressed down, pushed over, overflowing, all this stuff, then I'm going to give 20% to the church so I can get 50% back. I'm going to give 100% to the church so I can get 400% back. If that's the way you're thinking, you have your reward in full. Okay, your money is gone and somebody's in a, in a jet airplane because they, you gave them your money and they're saying thank you very much. Okay. So God sees our heart. The amount is not important. The heart is important. Do we trust God with our lives? And I'll tell you, you know, Paul's teaching that, that it's for our good really means a lot to me. I'm going to tell you a, a, a personal story um, because it, it just, it changed, God changed my heart, okay? I, I've been a Christian since I was 12. My wife's been a Christian for, since whenever she became a Christian, very early. And we were newlyweds and, and, and newly married, and, and we were Christians. Uh, you know, I would go to church, we'd go to church on Sundays, most Sundays, not every Sunday. Uh, but, you know, my career was mine. I'll take care of that, God. You don't need to worry about it. I got it. My money, I can take care of my checkbook, God. You don't need to worry about it. Thanks. You know, I, I give you my Sunday mornings and I give you my small group time. What else do you want? You know, and we struggled with money. We were in debt. There, we were the standard people that there was never enough paycheck to get through the month. And after struggling and, and God showed me some things and, and we finally made the decision pretty early in our marriage to, hey, we have been doing this our way. And some things haven't worked out very well. So let's, let's actually take God at his word and do it his way. And again, it wasn't to test. You shan't, we're not to put God to the test, right? And I'm not going to go, I'm, well, let's give to see if we get. That, that wasn't our heart. Our heart was, let's follow God's commands. Let's do what he says. And even though we couldn't afford it, we decided to start giving 10% to our local church. And I guarantee you my budget could not afford that initially but God used my willingness to follow him to change my heart and I didn't start making lots more money all of a sudden but my outlook on money completely changed my priorities with my money completely changed so all of a sudden at the end of the month I had money left not because I was making more as a matter of fact I upped my expenses 10% by giving to the church but because my outlook on money and the budget and everything completely changed. And one story, I vividly remember this. There was one month when it was like the last week of the month. And we're writing them like, okay, I've got money in the budget to pay the electric bill. Or I've got money in the budget to give to the church. Or I've got money to give to the church. We, we decided we've got to give to the church. Because that's what we decided to do. It comes first. We'll figure out the electric bill later. So we write the, the check to the church. Electric bills just unpaid for now. That very week, how many of you are USAA members? A lot of USAA members out there, or maybe whatever insurance it is. You know, as USAA, at least we get an annual dividend back from USAA. Okay? And it wasn't a lot, and I never knew when it was going to come. Maybe you know when it's going to come. It just shows up someday, you get a check. Well, that week, that dividend check showed up, and it was within a dollar of what our electric bill was. So I was able to give to God and pay the electric bill. Coincidence? You may say so. I'm saying God's providence. Okay? He saw our hearts. We decided to do what he told us to do, and he looked after us. Now, people will say, and I know unbelievers, skeptics will go, well, you know, 
You could have just paid your electric bill and used the check to give to the church. Well, I could have, but God sees the heart. That wouldn't have been the heart that he needed. He needed me to give to him because I love him. And again, it totally changed our outlook on money. And we don't, we haven't, you know, it, it was tough for a while, but after we figured things out, man, we, we don't struggle with money anymore. Do we have all the money that I could ever want or need? Yes and no. No, I can think of a lot more things to spend money on. But yes, I don't need any of those things. You know, 1 Timothy 6, that's your homework. 1 Timothy 6, later on, read at, uh, to me, the, the greatest passage of Scripture in all of the Bible on money. Okay? Just read it. We learned God changed our heart to be content so that we're not struggling about money. And I have counseled so many people, financially counseled so many people, and without fail, every single one of them, as we're trying to do the budget and trying to figure out and do this thing biblically, Every single one of them, if you're in financially counseling, you are struggling with money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that people reach out to get financial counseling. But every single one of them, when we get to the giving part, and I say, you need to start giving. Trust me, you need to start giving. Every single one without fail says, I can't afford it. And my answer is always the same. You can't afford not to. Because as long as you don't give to God, you call yourself a Christian, because this is all Christian counseling. If you don't give, do what God says... If you don't give to him, you are always going to struggle with money. If you give to him, not going to make life peachy and easy and all that stuff. I'm not telling you it's all going to be perfect. But give to him and let him take care of you. Jesus, as he's a couple days from being crucified, is telling them, beware of the pride of the Pharisees, of the scribes. And oh, by the way, that lepta that that widow gave is more in God's economy than all that the rich people were giving. Are we going to learn from that? Are we going to look at things God's way instead of our way? Are we going to understand that we always have to be on guard for our own pride? What is it that you're hanging on to? And are we going to understand that God wants us to give because of what that will do in our own hearts? For how much more that will make us love him than we did before and show love to others. Boy, I hope it changes us, folks, as I always hope that the scripture we go through changes us. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the time that we had this morning to gather in your name in openness without restraint. We thank you that we live in a country that we can do that in, Lord. And, and we just we pray, Lord, that you change us, that we are willingly being transformed by your word to think like you do, Lord. And may we be unified, not because we have Steve's thinking or Joe's thinking or Chris's thinking, but because we have learned to have your thinking. We are unified in Christ not in ourselves. Help us to always remember that it's not about us, it's about you. Our job is to bring glory to you, to be salt and light for you, to show others your glory through our lives. And I pray that you help us to do that. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love the triune God. We love who you've made us in you. 
and we love who you are. And Lord, I pray that every day we contemplate who we are in you and who you are. And I know that will give us a joy and hearts that are just overflowing. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.